Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the next installment of NACTA's virtual programming lineup. I am Bob Vecchioni, NACTA CEO, and we are excited to have so many of you with us today to discuss such an important topic. Before we begin with the introduction to our virtual programming, today has been identified as Blackout Tuesday in recognition of George Floyd's tragic death and subsequent violence that has overtaken our country. As educators of young women and men, we now need more than ever to listen to the voices of our student athletes to bring heightened awareness to the racist, racism and oppression in our country. NACTA's Blackout Tuesday message is as follows. We stand with the nation's athletics directors. We stand with your staff. We stand with your student athletes. We stand with your institution, fans, and communities. We may never fully understand, but we listen and learn. And we stand with you to bring heightened awareness and equality for all. NACTA is committed to playing a vital role as our intercollegiate community works together to build a platform for awareness and fight for change. The student athlete is at the core of everything we do as athletics administrators. As we navigate such an interesting time in our world, it's important that we continue to engage with our student athletes and ensure their experiences, physical and mental health and safety remain a top priority. Today's session titled Leading Student Athlete Support Services through a global public health crisis will provide us with insight into the measures athletics departments are utilizing relative to best practices. We are pleased to have with us today six respected individuals in the student athlete support services area. These individuals are leaders within N4A and will help us to understand how this increasingly turbulent time in our history is impacting our students and what tools they are utilizing to provide guidance and positive reinforcement. Before we begin, I would like to encourage our live attendees to ask questions throughout the session using the Q&A feature at the bottom of your Zoom window. We have a lot of time for these questions at the end of the presentation. That said, I'd now like to turn things over to Denise Poole, our current N4A President and Director of Student Success Initiatives at Penn State University to get us started with today's conversation. And thank you for joining us. Denise? Thank you, Bob. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to N4A members and NACT members joining us from all various parts of our country and the globe. As Bob mentioned, I'm Denise Poole, president of the N4A and director of student success initiatives at Penn State University. And it is an honor to be with you today to facilitate the NACTA N4A panel discussion, leading student athlete support services through a global public health crisis. Before we get started today, I would like to echo Bob Vecchioni's sentiments regarding the current climate of our country and speak to the deep systematic and systemic racism brought further to light by recent events. It is a time of great unrest for our country. For the past three months, we've witnessed COVID-19 disrupt and destruct the fabric of our culture and the health and safety of our communities. We've also witnessed this deadly public health crisis disproportionately harm communities of color and those who are economically non-advantaged. Further, directly at the forefront of our minds are the recent, ongoing, recent and ongoing heinous and evil acts directed towards community of color, communities of color and particularly black men and women, sparking even more death and destruction and highlighting the long existing, existing, existing reality of hate and racism that lives amongst and all around us. Many of our members and the student athletes whom we serve have been deeply and directly impacted by the weight of this reality. The challenges of the current times are very real and demand deeper work by many of us who have long benefited by positions of power, privilege, and whiteness. N4A leadership will remain steadfast allies in our advocacy and education efforts to champion diversity and inclusion and promote equity and understanding of the critical issues impacting professionals of color in student athlete support services and the student athletes we serve. On behalf of N4A leadership, our hearts go out to everyone impacted, especially those with a lived experience of racism and or justice. 
Today, we have the unique opportunity to spend the next hour together, albeit virtually, for a conversation with a handful of industry leaders who together possess many decades of experience overseeing student athlete support services. We'll find out a bit about how their experiences have helped them as they provided leadership to their units through time of remote learning and social distancing and what they have learned thus far through the process. We will be breaking today's conversation down into four topic areas, academic support, student athlete development and wellness, staff wellness, and department and institutional leadership. And we will wrap up our conversation as Bob mentioned with a Q&A at the end. I'll be directing most of my questions to the panelists directly, but I have also reminded all of our panelists to raise their hand via the participant panel in Zoom if they'd like to add any additional thoughts to any particular response. I'd like to now ask our panelists to take a moment to introduce themselves with their name, institution, and position title. And Kim, we'll start with you first. All right, thank you, Denise. Uh, welcome everyone. My name is Kim Durand. I'm the Senior Associate Athletic Director for Student Development at the University of Washington in Seattle. Next, we'll go to Ursula. Good morning, good afternoon, welcome. My name is Ursula Gurney. I'm a Deputy Athletics Director and Senior Woman Administrator at the University of Missouri in Kansas City. And next we have Joe. Hi everyone, Joe Lucky, uh, University of Cincinnati, serve as Senior Associate Athletic Director for Student Athlete Support Services. And Jackie. Hi everyone, Jackie Nicholson. I'm Associate Athletic Director for Academics and Compliance and Senior Woman Administrator at Albany State University. And last but not least, we have Magdi. Yeah, hi everybody. Magdi Oshahawi here, Deputy Athletic Director, Academics and Student Development at the University of Georgia. Thank you so much. So beginning with the topic of academic support, I'd like to th kick things off with a question from Magdi. Magdi, it is without question that many of us have found ourselves scrambling to quickly and efficiently flip in-person services over to, remote, to a remote and virtual setting. I'm wondering if you can share with us how you might view any of the changes and adjustments that your academic support unit has made to the regular service as improvements and potential improvements, and also which new practices you may consider continuing into the fall 2020 semester. Denise, well, first of all, we saw actually we could get a lot done virtually. Uh, there was a lot of apprehension at the time back in March when everything shifted to an online platform, but uh, first starting out with tutorial and getting our students onboarded and our tutorial staff uh, onboarded into how to conduct sessions virtually, remotely, and how that was gonna work out. And what we found through that using the Zoom technology is that it actually worked uh, better than we could have imagined, and in many cases, better than our, our normal tutorials. Number one, we thought that the quality of tutoring uh, improved, mainly because all of our Zoom sessions were recorded as well as periodically monitored by hosts dropping in for evaluations. So tutorials were more efficient. There wasn't as much socializing going on that wasted time between the student athletes and tutors. Uh, we also believe that the monitoring aspects helped us in the academic integrity arena. In a traditional tutorial setting, our tutors would be sitting in a room with the student athlete. And in some sense, you don't always know what's going on. Whereas on the Zoom sessions, the recorded feature allowed you to pretty much observe any tutorial you could. Uh, we thought that the virtual tutoring sessions were more convenient for both the tutor and student athlete. Uh, they didn't have to drive into our facility. They could do it from the comforts of their own home. They didn't have to deal with parking issues and even nighttime safety issues, which isn't much of an issue where we're at, but I imagine across the country, there, there could be issues with that with student athletes, uh, maybe not wanting to stay late at night due to safety issues, walking back to their dorms or residential facilities. So overall, we felt very good moving forward. We do plan to actually conduct our tutorial, basically our subject tutorial sessions via the Zoom format for the foreseeable future. We thought it worked well. What that allows us to do in our facility is really reserve space more for academically at risk student athletes where we could do in-person work with them, with the learning specialists, with our mentors and conduct structured study sessions without the distractions of having everyone hosted in our facility. So 
through this experience, we found uh, some best practices that we're gonna adopt moving forward. Thank you so much. And actually your comments about working with at-risk students is a great segue to our next question. Um, so as a follow-up, a question for Kim. Kim, how have the changes that you've implemented at the University of Washington helped provide heightened support or perhaps added some challenges when working with your more at-risk student athletes? Yeah, great question. Um, I'll, I'll first uh, do a shout out to our quarter friends. Um, many of us are still in spring quarter. We're week 10 of a 10-week quarter um, for, and then we'll enter finals week. So we're still in the thick of things. And I think we've, we've learned a lot um, along the way. I think a couple of things, not uh, really echoing a lot of the things that Magdi said. So much of what we had to do, we had to kind of adapt on the fly. Um, and some things that we probably weren't necessarily anticipating that were going to become challenges when, when we had to move to a remote um, situation with our student athletes virtually all over the, the world. Um, so we know our student athletes love structure. Um, there was none uh, pretty quickly. Um, they, uh, we, they were in unique living situations, as we know. Um, a lot of them did not have access to technology. Several had left laptops in dorm rooms or, or residences um, as they went on spring break and then they didn't come back uh, after spring break. So technology, internet, um, obviously a lot of our students, both at risk and not, um, had was uh, impacted because family members were losing jobs. Um, they had other family obligations where they were taking care of siblings often when, when parents were. So all these were things that kind of un, um, unfolded the longer we were in kind of this, this model. Um, the other thing I think we really uh, realized and I think is key for all of our student athletes, but specifically our at-risk student athletes, are the mental health um, ramifications of not knowing of the fear associated with the virus um, and, and health, and then also not having um, the kind of community that so many of our athletic departments provide. Being able to be with teammates and staff and coaches who love and support you. So I know none of that is new to, to any of us um, who've been in doing this for a long time, but I think it, all of those were heightened challenges that we had to find um, solutions for. And so a couple of things, um, I, I think one of the benefits or one of the, the key things that we have learned from is um, the ability to get coaches in, involved in a way that we never had. Um, we had a lot of coaches as all of you did with a lot of free time on their hands. Um, and we could channel that energy to help support what we were trying to accomplish with our student athletes academically, as well as in the student athlete wellness and student athlete development area. So um, we have a couple of our coaches that start every morning at 9 a.m. with a team rally uh, meeting. And so that helps us ensure our student athletes are up and ready for class, that they kind of have a motivation and a touch point community uh, touch point with their team and their coaches. Um, it's really shown, again, our student athletes, how invested our coaches are in their overall academic success and, and well-being. Um, so that's been helpful. Coaches uh, have been monitoring study table for us. Um, they um, actually are, are more apt to uh, be able to follow schedules, know when they're, where their students are, when they can and can't be bothered uh, with classes, et cetera. Certainly, there's been longer hours um, for staff and for students, but some of that one-on-one -on -one engagement and the ability to lengthen those sessions or have multiple sessions um, have really helped, to, I think, to keep our student-athletes um, engaged and to really assess. Um, the other things that, that have been hard, uh, the speaking to the mental health piece of, of this, our most at-risk students, but really student-athletes across the board who've had this um, their worlds up, uh, kind of upheaved with all of this, um, is, is working through the mental health. So at what level can we provide mental health counseling virtually? There's licensing issues and, and things like that. But being able to work in that and ensure that students are either getting resources that they need locally where they're residing or, or virtually through maybe a sports psychologist or a clinical psychologist that's that's been working um, with them and, and making sure that those um, resources are, are seamless and that they're getting the services that, um, that they need. Thank you so much, Kim, for offering those best practices and also challenges. I'm happy to hear that your coaches have been so helpful. 
Um, so it's also another good segue to the next question, which is for Jackie. Um, Jackie, can you offer any best practices that have worked for you to help maximize efficiency in remote academic, offering remote academic support? And, um, and then also um, how those have helped you also uphold academic integrity standards? Well, I think I'm just gonna continue off of what Kim just started and talking about our coaches. Um, coming from a smaller institution um, where academics falls under me and compliance, um, and our two advisors work on campus, centrally located, not in athletics. I um, had to rely on my coaches a lot to step in um, to help with that academic piece. So our coaches did most of those weekly check-ins with the students to see how they were doing um, and making sure they were submitting assignments and submitting them on time. Um, and then we did a lot of things and reminding students of resources that were on campus. The university did a really good job um, of making sure that we had, you know, tutoring available for all students on campus, not just student athletes and sending those out. Um, mentoring programs are still available and working for our students. The advising on campus, um, they did a really hard push on advising and making sure all advisors had at least two touch points with those students on campus. The Writing Center remained open career services. Um, every time something went out on the university side, I made sure I resent it to our student athletes. I'm pretty sure they got tired of those academic emails from me as well. They got it from universities and they got it from athletics as well. So making sure they understood that. Um, reminding them that having integrity is doing the right thing when no one is looking. Even though you are sitting at home, um, it's easy to cheat for two seconds, but you can get caught very quickly because now professors are really paying attention to it. Um, so reminding our student athletes of that, um, I did send out when this first started, university honor policy and honor code, and sent that out to all of our students. And I sent it out to SAC and our group meet just to say, hey, you know, please remind your student athletes that the university honor policy um, and code is still in place, even though we're still operating virtually um, as well. And then make myself available for our students. Sometimes they want to reach out when they have questions and ask those questions where it's easy to walk into my office and have that question. Um, I made sure I set up those virtual Zoom hours, which means I had to get dressed every day, at least from the waist up, um, and be available for those students. Um, so that was very important for them to have that touch point and ask questions and then ask them how they were doing in class and I did get on the Zoom calls with them. Um, and checking in with them. So those are some of the, the big things that we did, but making sure we really engage our coaches, that was the, the easiest way for us to get through this academic piece and make sure we stay on top of it. Um, we're working through our coaches and they were a, a big help and hats off to them. Um, for all those who did step into the academic advising role um, over the last, I would say 10 to 12 weeks for all of our students. Thank you so much, Jackie, and I'm happy to hear your coaches have been involved, involved as well and that you've been able to mobilize SAC to help uh, strengthen that peer-to-peer -peer voice, which is so important and critical. So before we wrap up on the academic section, section of our discussion today, um, I'm just going to ask if any of our panelists have any other comments that they'd like to add before we move on regarding academic support services specifically. Denise, I might just add um, one thing. Uh, one of the, you know, a lot of our students, as we said, um, didn't have technology available. Just want to remind everyone they can utilize um, the SAF or other resources to provide laptops and hotspots. I think for at least within our conference, there was some confusion about that, um, but you know, those can be considered necessary academic expenses and, and can be the SAF can be utilized to present those. Um, I know I was on a first name basis at the UPS store because uh, we were shipping laptops and hotspots uh, to help with students, but I just thought that was kind of important to, to include for folks. Very important. Thank you so much, Kim. I appreciate that. And Kim, I have you and we switch gears to student athlete development and student wellness. Um, just another question to direct to you. Uh, you spoke a little bit about mental health, which is so critical right now, making sure that we have a pulse on uh, the, that doing temperature checks with our communities. Um, but in a virtual space, moving over to student athlete development, what types of programming have your staff implemented to continue to prepare student athletes um, for life beyond sport and also to bolster community engagement? You know, it, it, the first thing that happened, and it happened unfortunately pretty suddenly, is we had quite a few student athletes who had secured internships for the summer, and then we had graduates that had secured jobs. Um, and literally day by day, those rapidly started to evaporate, even in a large metro metropolitan uh, city like Seattle. And so we had to shift gears. Um, we were used to, at this point, kind of being in 
in full mode to assist with, you know, student athletes resumes and interviewing and kind of helping them through the multiple steps uh, of an interview process as they were kind of getting ready to launch. And a lot of that uh, evaporated and suddenly students that we were excited had other opportunities didn't anymore. And so a couple of things that we just were able to do. Um, one, we shifted a lot to kind of specifically resume um, workshops that we could be done virtually one-on-one -on -one in small groups. We suddenly had student athletes that had more time uh, because they weren't practicing and, and they were handling their academics, but there was a, a really kind of initially a, a dramatic interest in getting moving in kind of the career services field, both for kind of so younger freshmen, sophomore, juniors. And so we really shifted that. The other thing we were able to do is tap into a lot of professionals, alumni, et cetera, that were willing to do informational interviews. Again, suddenly uh, scheduling some of those weren't as big of a challenge. And so we had large numbers of alumni and other mentors that were willing to do informational interviews and help our younger student athletes start that process. So um, it was very, it helped us, you know, to kind of focus on, um, on the, those services and shifting slightly uh, around that. Um, the other thing, we, we finished our Leadership Academy programming online. Uh, we actually had some opportunities to bring in other speakers that were available in different time zones that we suddenly didn't have to fly in uh, to make those available so students could, could uh, finish the Leadership Academy but bring in um, other guest speakers as needed. Our athletic director could do as many SAC meetings as she wanted um, and engage with, with them and, and, and kind of have that um, that connection, which she strived to do repeatedly, but again, as schedules um, often prevent those challenges. Um, we had some of our affinity groups, so uh, student groups around health, we have one called Healthcare Huskies that are for our student athletes that are interested in pre-med um, or you know health services. So it was easy then to tap into, again, resources and do virtual meetings um, instead of having to coordinate an evening time that, that we typically had done that. Um, really important, especially with what's going on in our country, we created opportunities for our SAC, but also our Black Student Athlete Alliance um, and our peer advocates that help focus on, um, on mental health and wellness for them to do regular meetings um, and, and continue as a group to kind of provide resources as well as safe spaces for um, our student athletes um, whether it's around mental health issues or things they were seeing with their student, their teammates, or obviously um, our Black Student Athlete Alliance has been very engaged for a number of weeks, um, but they're an active group, creating forums, bringing in guest speakers, creating safe spaces for our student athletes to, to talk through some of that. So I think it was just a change of focus um, and, and delivering similar programmings, but getting creative and adapting um, and really taking advantage of some of the the lack of structure that, that surrounded us in other areas um, in doing that. The last thing I would just say is obviously getting creative around virtual graduations. Uh, most of you on this viewing today have probably already done that. Um, we're a week and a half away from that, counting the days, but I think uh, a lot of collaboration I've seen around the country with folks coming together and really trying to make that uh, special for for the graduating seniors. Um, last thing I'll mention, one thing that I would really highly recommend, we were able to, to provide uh, a mindfulness um, app for all of our student athletes called Headspace. A lot of times schools can get, um, can get resources, but that's really helped our, our student athletes as they're feeling this anxiety and stress. There's meditations that are available, everything from two to five minutes to much longer. Um, and that's something our tutors and our staff have been working with our student athletes on as well as our psychologists. So I think that's a good resource that certainly has been helpful for, for some of our student athletes as, as they're facing the anxieties that um, our, our world is providing um, recently. Thanks so much, Kim. Those are some great uh, examples and best practices. Thank you for sharing. I see the Magdi's hand is up. So Magdi, I'll give you a chance to, to add any details you might yeah, I just thought it would be good to add on to what Kim said. We saw a lot of the same things that Kim saw at the University of Washington, and we made the decision that we had to be very intentional about reaching out to our student athletes. We took our SAC and our Leadership Academy, and we had weekly meetings with them, with our athletic director and executive team, just to update them on what's going on, 
uh, give them space to ask questions. Uh, we just want to make sure that uh, we, we provide our student athletes as much information as they could and to relate to our teammates and then also to directly engage with our behavioral medicine team with our student athletes in forms, we call them dog wellness sessions, where they would engage to see how our student athletes were processing and coping with what was going on in our society uh, from a uh, mental wellness standpoint. And to Kim's point about the mental health, that obviously was a big concern for us. And we saw with our behavioral medicine team that the telemedicine component was working out equally, like I mentioned in tutorial, equally well. We, we saw that there's a lot of benefits for our student athletes who were seeing our clinicians in that space, that the convenience factor as well as the privacy factor really lended itself to uh, very effective sessions to the point where we see continuing in that manner moving forward where the only in-person would be with extreme cases or the initial onboarding for new behavioral medicine cases. Thank you, Magdi. So we've talked a bit about our support for our current students. I'd like to switch the focus uh, slightly in the next question. I'm gonna direct the next question to both Joe and Ursula, starting with Joe. Um, how has your staff started to prepare to educate and engage incoming student athletes on department and university policy? Thank you, Denise. Uh, we began our summer bridge uh, program actually yesterday. So our football, men's and women's basketball program, we began a remote uh, summer bridge program yesterday. The staff uh, used the month of May once the spring semester was completed to put together programming and adjust very quickly to a remote summer. Uh, our team led by our director of learning services, uh, Jen Sturm and our learning specialists and then counselors assigned to those sports then communicated with the coaches and the individual student athletes that were incoming. We worked with the coaches to set a remote time in which the content would be shared. Uh, we looked at a, a period in the month of June and July in order to do this. And the goal was to try and keep everything as whole as we could given what we had done in previous summers. At the same time, uh, we started looking at uh, orientation and programming for other sports. Uh, we, I call it really a three-pronged phase. We have the, the summer bridge program in June. Then in July, uh, we have volleyball, women's soccer uh, coming in that we do programming. And right now we're working on a return to campus for that, those sports. And then we have all the other sports come in in August. And right now we have begun exploring opportunities to do some remote orientation and deciding what content would be in-person versus remote. And we're also trying to look at this beyond this summer. What could be opportunities that we look forward and implement this year, but also could be something we adopt for future years. We think it's a great opportunity to engage uh, our domestic students as well as any incoming international students and use some of the new software programming that we've all uh, learned to use in the last three months. Uh, and right now that's what's really important to us is trying to see what can be short-term but also long-term. Uh, we use game plan, what would be opportunities through game plan with modules. And our university went to a remote orientation and they are using Canvas and a course that students can go into and there's programming they'll be doing there. So we're trying to learn from campus's new plan, uh, what we can piggyback there, and uh, then what would be other opportunities that we feel the student athletes specifically need and put into play for August. Thank you, Joe. Um, turning it over to Ursula, so you can weigh in on your response. Sure, thank you, Denise. Um, and to piggyback off Joe, I think as we think about our incoming student athletes um, who are new, some of the things that we had thought about was how do we best communicate with them? Uh, how do we connect with them? So how do you create a connection as a student athlete support staff for individuals that you've had a really limited amount of time with at this point? And then how do we work to best reassure these individuals 
as they enter our institution. So our academic support staff have been getting together over the past couple of weeks to really work through those. And, and again, how do, we, how do we best navigate the situation? For our team, um, when we're focusing on orientation, we wanted to make sure that our athletic department was still a part of the greater university's orientation. And orientations have gone online for at our university, just like most universities. And our academic staff had worked with the university to ensure that at the end of each orientation, the academic team would meet with the student athletes in their own Zoom rooms. Um, so we had continued to partner with campus as we would a regular orientation. We just had our own space at the end of orientation to connect with those student athletes. Um, and then our academic team, we worked together to create uh, a video. Uh, we thought it would help personalize it, just a short, fun video to welcome our student athletes to campus to get, allow them to get to know us and who they would be working with, in addition to informational items that would go out um, in almost a PowerPoint-like presentation to our incoming student athletes. And one of the items we're dealing with right now that I'm sure a lot of campuses are dealing with that we don't quite have the answer to is what is fall going to look like? Uh, we know we're bringing back a lot of individuals to campus uh, in the summertime, but what is fall going to look like? Is it going to start on a regular time? Are we going to start two weeks early? What does that mean for our incoming student athletes? How do we work with our international student athletes? Um, and, and will they be able to arrive on campus in a timely manner? So there's still a lot of unknowns, but as we're dealing with the unknowns, we're working to be flexible and provide our student athletes uh, the flexibility, but also the connection with us that hopefully it helps to reassure them as they're coming into our institution. Thank you so much for all of your responses in this uh, topic area. Um, as I've been listening to you, I, you know, I, I'm hearing this trend of um, really just that relationship building and the collaboration piece that has become oh so necessary as we move forward uh, to lean on supports that you have access to within your campus network and your system um, to really with sharing that there still are unknowns as we do communicate, but really kind of weighing a little bit more heavy on that relationship building and that connection, um, building that connection, not only maintaining it with your current students, but building it with your incoming students. So thank you for sharing. And Jackie, uh, before we move on to the next topic, I'm wondering if you have any other comments or any comments you'd like to add. Um, since the other four panelists had a chance to weigh in on this topic area, I want to give you that opportunity in the student athlete development, student athlete wellness section. Um, I think I can piggyback what everyone else said. Um, one thing that we have started doing, actually start last week, um, we're going to continue programming for all of our students through the summer as well. Um, so we have some sessions set up with career services. Um, we'll do it for two weeks, one with our, our um, freshmen and our freshmen from last year, incoming freshmen, and one with our upperclassmen. Um, continuing on sessions with our incoming students for Meet the AD, um, with our males mentoring group on campus, Title IX. So we're going to continue that programming through the summer to keep our student athletes engaged. Since we know a lot of them, are, a lot of them have told me to themselves that they're sitting at home because they can't find jobs. Um, so they're sitting there with a lot of idle time. So just finding ways that we can fill at least one hour of that idle time a week, um, starting the 15th of June until the time we come back to campus in August. Um, so just finding unique ways to fill that idle time for our student athletes. So starting with career services will be a big one um, that will start, but very similar to what everyone else continued through the semester, we're continuing through the summer as well. Great, thank you very much for sharing. And while I have you, Jackie, uh, you're at the top of my list for the next topic area, so don't go too, too far away or mute yourself. Um, so moving on to our third topic, uh, which is staff wellness and motivation and um, managing the uncertain as you lead your staffs. Uh, Jackie, what has been effective in helping to, for you to maintain clear and organized direction and has helped you to boost morale with your staff? And also, what, it, what challenges have you encountered along the way? Um, I'll tell you, a challenge that I've encountered for me is I'm a more of a touchy-feely, hands-on type person, so I like to see people. Um, and that's been a lot, of, a lot of our staff, I think, just staff across the board um, in collegiate athletics are used to seeing people and having that in-person conversation with people. Um, so I feel like after Zoom, you kind of lose things in transition. Um, so I think a lot of us are struggling with losing that in-person touch point. Even though you're seeing each other, it's still not the same as, as sitting in front of someone. 
Um, but one thing we did is started with our AD. Um, we do every Tuesday morning. Uh, we have an administrative staff meeting. Followed that, we have a, a meeting with our administrative staff and our head coaches, um, just to check to see how everyone's doing, to give them university updates. Um, I'll give NCA updates, um, let them know what, how things are processing through the NCA since we're getting a lot of information at one time. I'm breaking that down for them and explaining that to them. And then with my direct reports, I do a weekly meeting with my direct reports, which has been very beneficial, just to stop and ask people, how are you doing? Um, so I know you're working, you're working from home, you're working with your kids, your husband's at home with you. So just stopping um, and asking people how they're doing, um, what they're working on, um, what they're struggling with, if they need help with something as well. Um, so we've been spending a lot of time doing that. Um, I can say our university has done a really good job of setting up a bi-weekly leadership training for our leaders on campus. Um, sometimes you know how to lead, but leading through crisis um, is another big thing. Um, and we're dealing with two major crises right now in our country. Um, so that has been very big to have that touch point, just to remind you of some small things that you need to know as a leader. You think you might know everything, um, but when you're dealing with two crises at once, um, I don't think anyone's prepared to deal with this at one time. Um, so those touch points have been really good and it just gives us stuff to go back to and talk to our staff about um, and engage them. So it has been very big. It's just kind of having those meetings and touch points and, and really truly asking how you're doing, um, asking someone how their kids are doing. Um, if you know they have kids at home, it's been very important and engaged. Um, in athletics, you're used to seeing sometimes people's kids all the time or their husbands because they're at games and they're involved and engaged. Um, but I wanted to make sure our staff know that, you know, I'm still here for you, even though I'm sitting at home and you're sitting at home, um, I'm still here. So we've been using that a lot um, and just kind of, you know, checking in on people. I'm doing the same thing on campus as well. I'm checking in on administrators, not in athletics. Um, and that's been very important because I'm still sending emails and asking them to do things, um, but just stopping the call. Um, other people on campus and have that conversation with them as well because it's easy to shoot an email. Um, sometimes picking up the phone still and calling people has been very important um, for me as well. So just, you know, making sure people are still engaged, involved, and know that you care, that you care, and you're still here to support them through this time as well. Thank you, Jackie. That's very helpful advice. I see that Ursula's hand is raised. Ursula, did you want to add some comments to response? Sure. Thank you, Denise. So just a few items also along the line of Jackie, I think checking in with your staff is really important. Also gauging um, how many Zoom meetings are too many Zoom meetings. Um, I did not realize that Zoom fatigue was a thing um, until we started all of this. So sometimes a phone call is, is a good way to connect. You don't always need to be connecting on Zoom, but certainly, you know, beginning a meeting or with a check-in, um, simply asking people how they're doing. Uh, one thing our staff did, and I thought we did a great job, is really sharing resources. So what are resources for staff to help with their mental health and wellness? So while we do a wonderful job with our student athletes, providing them with resources, um, providing our staff with resources very much encouraged uh, the staff that, that um, I work with to share resources amongst each other. Um, you know, we had some staff members taking a happiness class through Yale that was online. So we, did, we tried to do things together. We tried to provide resources uh, together to help our staff. I think this is such a unique time period that it's so important to be mindful of how our staff are feeling um, and all kinds of staff, whether it's our tutoring staff, um, whether it's our executive team, um, you know, so it's just really being mindful of everybody and sharing those resources. Thank you, Ursula. Great reminders as well. My next question is for Magdi, uh, still within the same topic area. Have you developed action plans to potentially bring staff back to campus? So what does that look like for your institution? Yes, we have. And uh, we're taking a three-phased approach to it. Uh, we're starting phase one this month, uh, where we're bringing back essential employees. And for us, our essential employees are really deemed with football student athletes coming back to do voluntary workouts right now. We deem our counselors who work with that sport and our learning specialists who are going to work with incoming football student athletes as essential. Now, although they're essential, um, they will not be coming back full time, but really the plan is to have them come back in as needed for onboarding programming for our new students, for our learning specialists, just to initially get them set up, up and running with support for their classes, as well as some cognitive skill building workshops we plan to do with our incoming freshmen. Uh, but with the regular sessions that they have, the goal is within the first two weeks to transition those to online 
sessions. We would start phase two in July where we'd plan to bring in some more academic support staff as more incoming student athletes from other sports will be coming in here. Very similar, only to come in as needed. We may look to have our counselors and learning specialists come in two to three days a week. One of the concerns is by mid-July, most of our staff members would have gone four months of working purely from home. And we have to be mindful of that transition, the psychological transition of just all of a sudden returning to work full time can be very difficult as people are used to now this new normal that we have. We can't just expect everyone to just go back, stop what they're doing and go back working all the hours we do every day without a transition plan for it. And we're very cognizant of that and want to phase each of our employees back carefully. The other thing we keep in mind is that there's some, some staff members who are a little concerned about returning to work in this environment. They may have uh, family members that live with them that are either elderly or have compromised immune systems where there's a heightened fear of contracting COVID-19. So we wanna work with all our staff members who have those concerns and still continue to provide telecommuting options. And then when we get back to phase three in the fall, come August, when all our student athletes hopefully are set to return, provided the medical community gives us the clearance to do that, that even though we're back in the office full time, that for our staff members, the plan would be to still have our, our staff rotate and maybe it's four days in, one day work from home for counselors, learning specialists, that would be the plan there for our personal development team that works. We might look at two to three days a week, at least through the fall, uh, so that we don't have everyone in the building at the same time and continue to maintain social distance protocols is gonna be very important. Uh, the idea is until we get a vaccine, uh, we are going to be operating in a, a very different space where all these things have to be considered. Thank you, Magdi. Um, and I, I thank you so much for sharing your plan, and I'm sure others um, are starting to develop plans or have already enacted plans of their own. Uh, I think it's important, something you mentioned, to just continue to emphasize as much as many of us are anxious to get back to a normal that there will be an adjustment phase and that we're dealing with a new normal and we're still dealing with a level of uncertainty. And so adapting to that new normal and uh, having patience and continued grace, um, as Kim Duran has and I have uh, had conversations about previously and others I'm sure is important in that process as we all move forward. So does anyone else have any comments that they would like to add to either Maggie's response or um, anything pertaining to this topic area of staff wellness and motivation? All right, then we'll move on to our fourth and final topic, uh, which is uh, leadership. Uh, that's both in department leadership. And so our first question is for Ursula. Uh, how have the current challenges created practices that will inform or enhance future collaboration or understanding of other functional areas within your department? Thank you, Denise. One of the things as we began, when we found out we were probably going to be leaving campus in mid-March, uh, you know, we understand that there are a lot of student-athlete support units that service our student-athletes. So we have academics, student-athlete development, compliance, sports medicine, sports performance. We knew that each one of those was such an important piece of the puzzle that we wanted to ensure that those units were functioning as best as possible together. Um, so we wanted to better streamline our services. So while all those units were functioning well together prior to COVID, uh, once we knew we were leaving campus, we all agreed that twice per week, our internal unit would get together for an hour to an hour and a half to discuss our student athletes and how we can best help our student athletes. So the whole entire internal team gets together twice a week. Um, again, we wanted to streamline our services. We wanted to work efficiently and we wanted to work with urgency to best help our student athletes. So um, our unit gets together and we talk, we have a shared document that we created um, in which we talk about academics, we talk about wellness, and then we also talk about retention. So while the spring semester was engaged, the individuals, whether you were uh, in sports performance, sports medicine, academics, our business office, our compliance office, we would talk about our student athletes and we wanted to do it 
to best wrap support around them. So perhaps the academic unit was not able to reach our student athletes that were being unresponsive, yet their athletic trainer was able to reach them and, and they were more responsive to them. So the academic team could help deliver the message to our athletic trainer to maybe help them um, get the student athlete the message that they needed to do something for the academic team or attend their tutoring appointments, whatever it might be. And we've actually found this to be one of the most effective spaces for all of us to really learn and grow, not only learn about each other's roles within the department, uh, but we've done a lot of dialoguing on how COVID has impacted our department. Uh, we've created a lot of policy that we've presented to the athletics department. We've come together to talk about returning to campus and what does that look like and how do we coordinate the internal unit together um, to best provide support, not only for our department, but our student athletes. And we have found the dialogue and the streamlining um, of our internal units together at a heightened level by all coming together at least twice per week as something we want to continue because it's been so effective in getting everybody around the table or Zoom room together. And we've all committed, because we've acknowledged this has been helpful, we've all committed that when we get back to campus and we start moving in a hundred different directions that we need to stop um, and continue to engage in these types of meetings because they're in the best interest of our student athletes. So that's one, one difference that we have done. Um, the other difference is we've really come together around behavioral health. So many members of our, our internal unit, including sports medicine and our academic team, select members have come around with our behavioral specialists to talk about the mental health and wellness of our student athletes and how we best partner to ensure that no one's slipping through the cracks that our student athletes have the services they need and that we're also delivering the message. Whether it's the behavioral unit or our um, internal unit, we've also created coordinated communication. So we wanna make sure our student athletes are having touch points um, from members of our internal unit and uh, coming together has allowed the internal unit to create coordinated touch points. So we use um, Teamworks, so whether we're sending a message out through Teamworks, whether it's an email message, or a text message. Again, we tried to do a variety of touch points with our student athletes. Uh, we've also been able to create that coordinated communication. Thank you so much, Ursula. So again, in that response, hearing a lot of themes and emphasis on coordination and collaboration and, and really coming together in a true partnership to help move things forward. Um, I'm just sort of curious, uh, just a, a question. That, that came to me uh, listening to your response. Has anybody had, had any moments where as a group, as a department or an institution, you've kind of arrived to, um, you know, to a conclusion that you, know, you should have been doing a practice all along because of coming together, because of what you learned through this process so far? Is there anything that, that kind of comes to mind? I think Denise, uh, Kim alluded to it too. I think sometimes it's hard when you're in the office to come together, come together, uh, but now we have different ways to come together. So maybe we're not all physically sitting at a table, all of us. There's, there's different opportunities, whether you're bringing in a student athlete development speaker uh, to talk to the students. They don't always have to be physically present. I feel like what we have gone through over the past couple of weeks has maybe allowed us to meet our student athletes where they are, meet staff where they are, and maybe change the method in which we're delivering the same message. Thank you very much for sharing. So our final question within this section will be for Joe. Um, Joe, how, how do you think this experience so far has shaped you as a leader and how have you been stretched? Denise, that's a, a great question. One I've, I've thought a lot about. Um, I think the thing similar to everybody around the country are those feelings of the, the adjustments to home, technology, distance from your staff, uh, the impersonal human interaction. Uh, at the same time, the goal, all of us in, in academic support services, student development was to keep the experience as whole as we could. Graduation, end of the year celebration. Um, we call it the last 39 days. Like, let's just make sure uh, we support everybody down to the end and how do we do that? 
I think that the other challenge I saw personally was just the inability to turn off. Uh, we had distractions of games, even a commute for many can be a, a turn on, turn off time. Uh, everybody's schedules became very different. So there was not necessarily an eight to five because maybe somebody had to work a 10 to six or they worked in periods. And so I found as a leader, just never being off. And I, I finally hit a wall one weekend and said, I just got to put my phone away, go and um, just disconnect and forcefully. And I started doing that at periods where I left the phone in my office slash bedroom um, and left the phone there and just went and uh, engaged. And, and I think that was really critical. Uh, I think the other piece was just the challenge uh, as a leader to lead the staff through a period nobody knew what was going on. And every day you got new information and sometimes it was information that was real, sometimes it was information by the end of the day it changed and you had to keep a perspective of it was the ultimate poker face like okay we're on plan c now we're on plan g like how do you go through that element and keep that sense of of calm because you didn't want your staff to feel any panic and you wanted to provide uh that leadership and i think at the same time you also wanted to show that we could do this and, and the student athletes, you wanted them to recognize, I mean, this is truly what life is. We, we have adversity every day and from coaches and recruiting plans to games, I mean, nothing ever goes the way we map it out and that's reality. And so this was the ultimate, I think, challenge to that. So our leadership was determined to guide the university, guide the department through that. And I think that's what, to me, when I thought about this, this brought out the best in college athletics, coaches, administrators, no one wanted to let the students down. And you saw communication in a way that the energy was at the highest level. And if we can continue that, uh, we, we have a lot of things that we can accomplish as a profession. Uh, and I think the thing I ended on, um, it challenges us to continue what I have always believed about being innovative, um, about being impactful, but also inclusive because we need each other. There's no one in the department that can run their area uh, without the support. For us, we have to have compliance. We have to have sport administrators. We have to have head coaches. Everybody has a part in this and the ability to rally everybody together was really critical. And uh, the last piece I, I'd end on is I read an article, it was in uh, Inc.com last week and it said, flexibility makes you a stronger leader. There was no better time for that article to come out than right now. And, and so that, that's how I've been, I think, challenged, stretched and felt as, as a leader. Joe, I, I think you froze on my end, and I'm not sure if that was the experience for everyone, but would you mind just repeating the quote? Uh, the, the article uh, from uh, Inc.com this past week I thought was really powerful, and uh, it's, it's called Flexibility Makes You a Stronger Leader, and I thought that was really impactful for me. Uh, thinking about today's thing and all of us and what we've gone through the last four months and are going to continue going through probably for another year. Thank you so much, Joan. Thank you for repeating that. I see that, Kim, your hand is raised. Did you want to add comments? Yeah, I, I couldn't echo more strongly what Joe said. I think it really stretched us as a leader. One thing I think um, became very apparent to me and kind of as a leader um, was that I, I needed to be authentic and vulnerable because I think as helpers in our profession, we want to fix everything, right? A student athlete comes in, they have an issue. Naturally, we try to fix it. Um, and it's, we were in this, we have been, and we'll continue to be in this zone where we can't, we don't always have answers. Most of the time we don't have answers and we can't fix it. And that was a real struggle. And in, in addition to all of that, so being able to 
to share that openly with your staff and um, and all of that. And then the other thing I would just say, and this is really a plug for N4A, uh, we can all be exhausted with this, right? I mean, I think on the weekends, uh, I just, I sleep a lot um, to recover from everything that goes on during the week. But the thing that has kept me going is being able to do Zoom calls with colleagues, um, with partners across the country, um, so that you can kind of recharge your batteries too, because especially as leaders, we spend a lot of time taking care of everybody else. Um, and being able to get on a Zoom call with colleagues, whether it's a you know, PDI track or other colleagues that you have been on a committee with or other leaders that have been like many of us in the business for a long time, that's what keeps you going. And so I just encourage people to take advantage of that, recharge your batteries as a leader, not only from best practices, but laughter and support um, is, is been really helpful. And I think this is an organization that provides that in spades. And I really just think um, it, it's worth taking the time to do uh, to take care of yourself and to help um, to help you be a better leader. Thank you so much, Kim. So with that, we'll wrap up our, our final fourth and final topic area and move on to our Q&A section of the discussion. I want to thank everyone, all of our participants who submitted questions throughout this discussion. Uh, we'll likely not have time to get to all of the questions today, uh, but we'll try to address as many as we can as much as many as time will allow. So moving over to a question that we received, um, someone wrote in, uh, what is a best practice for a student athlete who is challenged when it comes to online courses? One of my men's basketball players fell from a 3-2 to a 2-0 because they are used to classroom interaction and they gave up because their fear of failure electronically took over. They wanna raise their hand and address the question. I'll pick on you, Kim. <laughs> um, I think it's real. We're, we're still facing it. And I think uh, what we have learned is just small bits of motivation, right? And trying to get creative. One of the things that's great when we have our student athletes in person is, you know, what, what makes them tick. And if they need to get up from a tutoring session and walk around your facility because they can't sit for long periods of time, um, you know, something, something like that. Um, I, I can speak for myself. I, online learning would not have worked for me as a college student. And so I think just trying to get creative about how you can keep them engaged um, and, and break things into chunks uh, so that they can kind of do it. And then I think a lot of it is being a cheerleader, whether that's you as an academic um, professional or coaches. Um, there was sometimes those little cheerleading moments or the, hey, you know, you're down, you, you've gotten through another week, just kind of those things to keep it simple, but, but try to keep positive and keep them motivated is, is just the only thing I can think of, to be honest with you. I, I think that struggle is real and we're, and we're all facing it. Absolutely. It's a very real struggle. And there was another question that came in that addresses some of the same concern on a more broader scale and just asks, how have your universities been addressing any gaps in online learning skills for your student athletes? So I think this speaks a little bit more to the actual stepping in and, and guiding through best practices, which you answered a bit in your response. Does anyone have anything else to add to more department-wide or university-wide initiatives? I was just gonna share uh, our university had a process if a student did not have access to a computer, they could um, send in a waiver petition and they found a way uh, to get a uh, computer to the student. Uh, so I thought that was a great outreach in those situations. And they provided a lot of support for faculty and staff uh, because th there were faculty that also had to make that transition as well uh, to online uh, to make sure that support was there. Thank you so much. I think actually looking at the time, we only have a question. Um, question here, let's see. What are schools preparing to do to run fall study hall and provide academic services such as tutoring? 
Denise, I can jump in. Um, we're obviously behind uh, semester schools, so we're going to learn from all of you guys <laughs> as, as we uh, plan this. I think um, what we're hearing is it's going to be, a, at least on our campus, a combination of in-person and virtual, um, mostly virtual, I think. And so I, I, I see us basically continuing a lot of the best practices we've learned through trial and error on this, um, I, whether it be study table or even tutoring. Um, you know, do, using those virtual um, outlets to do that, uh, it, continue to monitor and do that. Um, uh, but quite frankly, we're going to learn from a lot of you uh, who who do a trial and error a little bit before before we do. But so so far, that seems to be the direction we're headed. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. We are at the top of the hour now, and so we'll have to close up. But I, I do appreciate all of your feedback and insight that you've been able to offer this afternoon. I want to thank everyone for visiting today and joining us and I wish you all uh, peace and best of luck as you navigate the weeks ahead and please remember that N4A is offering a virtual convention on June 22nd, 23rd and 24th so register. Registration is live on our website and convention is uh, open to NACTA members, all NACTA members free of charge, our virtual convention. Um, more information can be found at n4a.org. So now I'll turn things over to NACTA to close us out. Bob? Denise and panelists, thank you so much for being with us today. Attendees, thank you. Uh, the, the most important takeaway, we all know what our jobs are, uh, but the most important takeaway, and it's the same thing I tell uh, our athletics directors, you are important. It's important to take care of you. As a servant leader, you put everyone else first. Your student athletes, your coaches, your administrators, you need to take care of you because you serve so many constituents. So please take time, take an hour a day, take two hours a day, read, work out, whatever you have to do, but please just take care of you. Thank you, everybody. We're on again next Tuesday. Hope to see you then. Thank you.